Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth. I'm very happy that you're here. And in honor of the onset of summer and the rising temperatures that are seasonal and also maybe being exacerbated by a little bit of climate change, today we're going to talk about running in the heat, how heat affects your performance, and how to acclimate to running in the heat so it doesn't um, tank your performance, hurt you, cause heat stroke, dangerous dehydration, that sort of thing. The good news is if our bodies are amazingly adaptable and can learn to perform in a variety of conditions, that's why humans can live in places as varied as the Sahara Desert and the Antarctic Pole. (laughs) I mean, not comfortably down there. It's quite cold. But with a little bit of proper education, acclimation, learning how and why our bodies behave the way that they do, we can learn to run safely in the heat and to optimize our performance. Not probably the best performance we're ever going to have when it's really, really hot out, but learn how to perform well safely when the temperatures rise. We're going to start off by talking just about the basics of how your body thermoregulates, how it regulates its own internal temperature Uh, You may remember from science classes back in the day is that when you're talking about chemical reactions, heat, the application of heat tends to increase the rate at which those reactions occur. So specifically, we're talking about the chemical reactions that are taking place inside of our body on a molecular, on a cellular level. When you apply heat, they happen faster. What does this mean? As you know, when you run, the increased effort heats up your body. That's why you sweat, because your body is trying to cool itself off. It is trying to keep itself in that very narrow core temperature thermoregulated zone. And everybody's core temperature is a little bit different, uh, but it's it's still within a fairly narrow range. We're talking about between like 97.5 and 99.5 to keep our core temperature operating within that zone because that's the where we're in homeostasis, right? That is the thermoregulatory zone that our body exists in. When our core temperature drops below that or above that, bad things start to happen. Either, you know, below that is because of hypothermia, and of course, that is also dangerous and can be fatal. And above that, a fever or heat stroke or very, you know, strong heat stress that can also be fatal, right? So despite our resilience as human beings, we have a very narrow zone in which we can operate. But the beauty and the magic and the science of all this is that our bodies do an excellent job at regulating themselves in these extreme conditions. Your body is always trying to maintain itself in this core temperature operating zone of a few within a few degrees. When you run or when you exert yourself in any way, whether it's running or any other aerobic or, you know, strenuous activity, physical activity, you are creating uh, more heat inside your body, basically. The increased chemical reactions, the things that you're asking your body to do raises your core temperature such that your body is required to kick on its internal air conditioning system, also known as your sweating process. Your body cools itself off by sweating. Sweating is actually super cool. When you sweat, your body pulls water and in very in minute amounts, some other various um, uh, things like salt and um, calcium and iron in very minute quantities, but it's mostly uh, water from your blood plasma, which is the yellowish part of your blood. Your blood isn't just red, only the red blood cells are the red part. Your blood is actually made up of more than just red blood cells. It has blood plasma, basically like the filler. (laughs) Your body pulls water from your blood plasma and dissipates it or sends it out to the sweat glands that exist on the surface of your skin. And when the sweat, the water reaches your skin, it evaporates And the evaporative process is actually what causes you to cool off. So you've probably noticed this 
in a situation where you were doing an activity and you got really, really sweaty and then you stopped doing it and stayed still or the temperatures dropped, but you were still like wet because you were sweaty. Or maybe you went for a swim and you got out of the water and you're wet, right? And you are standing still and all of a sudden you're really chilly, right? You're really chilly and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so cold. Because the water that is evaporating off your body is a cooling process. The evaporative effect, evaporation causes heat dissipation. So when your body sweats, it is basically turning on, like I said, its air conditioning system where it sends water sweat to the surface of your skin, which is a large surface area to work with. And the evaporative nature, when that sweat evaporates off of your skin, it is a cooling, a thing that cools off your skin, which then helps your body regulate its internal temperature. So that's like really cool. You have probably noticed that the harder that you run, the hotter your body gets, the more that you sweat. It's very, very different to go for a gentle, easy run or a recovery jog versus doing things like um, a tempo run or racing, 5K, 10K, those really, really hot, fast paces. Yes, your body is working harder and literally getting hotter the harder that you work. That's core temperature and that's how sweating works to cool your body off. How does this work when it's hot outside? Because basically what we just described is when things, when ambient temperatures, right? So if it's 50 degrees or, you know, 45 degrees, which I'd say is the optimal temperature to run a marathon in, but something where it's like, it's slightly chilly, maybe it's overcast, you're not getting that direct sun exposure, your body just kind of operates within its optimal normal zone. It doesn't have to work too hard to maintain its internal temperature other than the fact that it's trying to regulate based on the activity that you're doing, it isn't also being asked to warm your body up, like when it's freezing out or cool your body off, in addition to the work that you're doing when it's really warm out. But what happens when you go for a run when it's hot out? What happens when you live in a place like where it doesn't stay 45 degrees and overcast year round? It has seasons and maybe those seasons are very extreme and maybe those seasons involve a lot of humidity when it's also very hot out. You walk out the door and instead of it being a lovely, slightly cool 45 degrees, which is like seven degrees Celsius for my metric friends, you walk out the door, it is 80 degrees or like 27 degrees Celsius. So it's warm, right? 80 degrees is warm, just no matter however you slice it. So you walk out the door and it's 80 degrees outside and already your body is having to combat the rise in the ambient temperature in which it's existing before you even start to go for a run. You may have noticed that on runs where the temperatures are warm, you start sweating right away or much sooner than you would otherwise. Your your heart rate increases more rapidly and to a higher place than it was if you were running the same pace or effort in cooler temperatures. Because that's another thing, heart rate in all of this. And that's why so many people get frustrated. They say, I went for a run and it was supposed to be easy and my heart rate was in the 160s. Even though I was going slower, what's going on? For people who are using their heart rate as a proxy for effort, right? If you're trying to keep your heart rate in your aerobic development zone on your easy runs, as you should be trying to keep your easy effort in your easy effort zone on all easy runs. But if you use your heart rate to guide yourself to that easy aerobic development zone, you might be dismayed to find that the pace you were running last week to keep your heart in this aerobic development zone is a pace that is no longer doable based on what your heart rate says. And this is because it all has to do with how hard your body is working to maintain that pace and effort. And when your body has to work harder overall in general, in extreme conditions, especially hot conditions, you are no longer in that easy aerobic development zone. So we're gonna talk about this later, but one of the number one things you do when you are acclimating to the heat is you need to slow down. But that is a conversation for later. So you walk outside your door, it is 80 degrees outside, a, a warm 27 degrees and you start sweating. You're just standing there and you're starting to sweat a little bit, right? Because your body is immediately saying, oh, I am being challenged by this extra external heat. I need to immediately turn on my AC system 
in order to help maintain the internal thermoregulation that I have, try to keep the core temperature in the place that it's supposed to be in. And you haven't even started moving yet. So what happens when you start to move? Well, everything just kicks into high gear, right? You are sweating more, you're sweating earlier. And when you sweat, you, like I said, have to pull that fluid from your blood plasma. It's a finite resource. It's not infinite, right? You don't have infinite water to give in your body. That's why it's so easy to become dehydrated on even short runs when the temperatures are really hot out, okay? So hydration is going to be key when you're learning to run or acclimating your body to the heat. You walk outside, you're sweating. You start running, you're sweating even more. Let's say you walk outside and it's very humid, right? It's 80% humidity and it's 80 degrees. This is when you add another layer of complexity to running in the heat. Sweat evaporates, cools off your skin, helps regulate your body temperature. But when it's very humid out, your sweat can't evaporate, basically. Above a certain humidity point, the air is just not interested in taking the water from your skin and absorbing it into the air. Think of this as the difference between being in a sauna, a very, very dry heat, where You know you're sweating, but the sweat evaporates almost immediately versus being in a steam room. Those are two extreme examples of no humidity versus high humidity. So what happens when you are running in a environment that has high or higher humidity? Quite frankly, the air, which is already fairly saturated with moisture, is not really interested in picking up the additional moisture via, you know, the sweat on your skin. It's just like, nah, I don't need that. I'm already pretty full of water. I'll just leave it on the skin. I'm not interested. Well, that's really bad news for you, the the human who's trying to cool themselves off, because when your sweat doesn't evaporate, when your sweat stays on your skin, because the humidity is just not interested in absorbing the water uh, that is on your skin, when you when your sweat cannot evaporate due to high humidity, you have lost your key feature of your body's cooling system. That is why running in humidity is so, one, challenging, and two, potentially dangerous. As soon as you are unable to use sweat to cool yourself off, you need to be very careful and cautious about the kind of work that you're doing, the length of time you're spending outside, and paying extra special attention to the other factors that can help cool your body off, like hydration and the effort that you're putting in. Before we move on, just kind of a quick note about sweating and heart rate and how that all works. Your body has this unbelievable capillary network. When we talk about easy running creates a denser network of capillaries. Capillaries are these absolutely tiny, minuscule little blood vessels that run throughout the like most of your body to deliver blood, like oxygen, right? In the form of your red blood cells, but also just deliver the other things that your blood has to provide, like your blood plasma. So when your body is pulling water out of your blood plasma to use for sweat, it's pulling it out of the capillary networks that run in your skin. Like that's how the water gets to your sweat glands. It's not like there's a a main channel of water that comes from the center of your body and directs itself out to your sweat glands. Like, no, your body, your sweat glands are actually pulling the water from your blood plasma through the capillary network that runs throughout all the tissues in your body, in your skin. Like, obviously you have blood vessels in your skin because when you cut yourself, you bleed. In that blood is blood plasma along with the red blood cells and the other stuff that exists in our blood, which is very, very cool. So another plug for why you should be running the majority of your of your running days in your easy effort zone in that zone to 60 to 75% of your heart rate. If you're using effort, you're using that, you know, one, one to three effort on a scale of one to 10, like truly easy zone. That's your aerobic development zone. And part of what running in your easy endurance building aerobic capacity building zone does is it creates denser capillary networks to help you sweat earlier, sweat more when you need to. I mean, the capillaries also deliver oxygen to your cells, which helps you create energy when you're running. But uh, yes, part of it is the denser capillary networks help your body thermoregulate in extreme temperatures. And that is part of what your body does when it goes through the heat acclimation process. So 
What else affects your internal temperature? What else, what other factors should we consider? Skin temperature is a big one. So we talk about your core temperature is mostly influenced by the internal activity that you're doing. So your core temperature is going to be most impacted by the level of effort you're expending. So the, the harder that you run, the higher your effort, the more your core temperature is going to be elevated. That's just the biggest influence on your core temperature is the stuff that's going on inside your body. Skin temperature is mostly influenced by the ambient temperature around you. So that means when you step outside and start sweating, that's not because of an increase in core temperature. That's because your body is reacting to the fact that your skin temperature is increased. Nothing increases your skin temperature more than direct sunlight. There is a vast difference between running when it's hot and humid and overcast versus hot and humid and sunny, or even moderately warm and moderate humidity and sunny. Direct sun, the giant ball of radiation that lives in our sky, that has a huge impact on your skin temperature. So we have the, the ambient temperature of just the, oh, what's happening around us, right? So we walk outside, the air is 80 degrees. That is a signal to our body like, oh, skin temperature starts to increase. And then we layer sun on top of that. You are not just responding to the fact that the air around us is warm. We're responding to the fact that we are receiving radiation in the form of heat energy that is coming from the sun. So the conditions where it is in, of course, it all exists on a spectrum, but the warmer the air becomes, the more humid the air becomes, and the more direct sunlight exposure that you have, the more challenging and potentially dangerous on the high end of the spectrum running in those conditions becomes. It's important to note that there are sex differences. There are differences in how men versus women respond to high heat, to exercising in higher temperature environments. There just are, um, which is to the detriment of us women, unfortunately, bizarrely. And I don't know why this is. I'm sure there's some strange evolutionary, you know, basis or cause behind all of this. But long story short, women in general, we sweat less than men do. We have fewer sweat glands than men do. Our sweat is more diluted. So men tend to have a higher concentration of those uh, electrolytes, salt, um, calcium, magnesium, the sort of things that comes out in our sweat, right? So, you know, men tend to be quote unquote saltier sweaters than women do. We have our sweat glands are, are distributed differently, <laughs> weirdly enough. For some reason, women have more sweat glands in our arms. Uh, men tend to have more sweat glands in their torso. So there are just these weird um, factors to consider when you're thinking about women exercising in the heat and women, how they sweat versus how men sweat. This is just one of those weird things, those weird differences. What does this mean? It means that women are not as heat resilient as men are and can take a little bit longer to adapt to higher temperature environments. And also we have additional considerations when we are exercising in high heat environments, depending on where we are in our menstrual cycle. And also one of the weird things is that our bodies tend to, our, our heat response kicks in later than men's does. So we start sweating later than men do in the same given environment. Or basically our body waits longer for our core temperature to increase more before it says, oh, I got to turn the AC on and start sweating. So you are a woman who regularly trains or sometimes trains with male training partners. So you, you run together Please know that your heat acclimation needs, the way that you are going to deal with the heat, the, your, how your response to the heat, it's going to be different than a man's is. You may have different hydration requirements. You may have different um, effort level thresholds. You may just have a different response overall to running in the heat than a man does. Like, ugh, boo. But please know if you are running with male training partners, you may have different needs than they do. So make them conform to your needs, not the other way around. Because when you get this stuff wrong, it can be very dangerous for our health. 
So what are the dangers, the warning signs and signals of when you're entering a danger zone of heat stress, uh, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, that sort of thing, which is scary and very, very dangerous. So one of the very first signs that you are entering a zone where you're exercising in a high heat environment. Okay. And I'll actually back off and note, I'm not, you don't have to be in like hundred degree heat here. You can, you can become heat exhausted, have symptoms of heat stroke, even in quote unquote lower temperatures, right? So if you are, it's all about what your body is used to. And that's what we're going to talk about, how to acclimate your body. But if you go from, let's say you've been running in like, you know, temps that are right around freezing, and then you travel somewhere and it is all of a sudden 75 degrees and moderately humid. Well, in the grand scheme of things, you're thinking, well, that's like nothing. That's just a very, very normal temperature. It is, but you're not used to it. You can get symptoms of heat stroke, that dehydration, that high increased in cor- in, uh, internal core temperature. You can have symptoms and signs of heat stroke, heat exhaustion, no matter whether it's 100 degrees or 75 degrees, because it just depends on what your body is used to. So if you push it too hard in any warm environment that you're not used to, you can get into trouble. Don't think that you can only get heat stroke in the middle of the desert in the high summer when you don't have any water. No, you can become dangerously dehydrated. You become dangerously overheated in a variety of warm environments. It just depends on what your body is used to. So please, please, please don't think that this is only something you need to worry about when it's super hot outside. As any change in our environment. Like I said, we are adaptable. We can get used to it, but the sudden changes and pushing too hard can get us into trouble. So what are the signs and symptoms of when it is time to pack it in, call it a day, go cool yourself off and make sure that you are rehydrating correctly. Some of the signs of when you have gone past the point of your body's ability to regulate its core temperature. And these are very similar to signs of dehydration. And actually, you can have heat stroke, heat exhaustion brought on by dehydration because it's really easy to get dehydrated in those conditions. And we're talk about why and how to prevent that later. But if you are on a run and you, in a hot run, you know, obviously if you're on a if normal cold run and you get these, it might not be heat stroke or heat exhaustion might be something else. But getting a headache, feeling nauseous, feeling chills, right? So like chills that cause goosebumps or when you're, you start to feel kind of cold chills around your body, even though it's like 90 degrees outside. Um, obviously vomiting is a huge one. You know, if you're vomiting, if you've stopped sweating, that is a huge, huge red flag. If you stop sweating, your core temperature is very high. You need to immediately stop and potentially even seek medical attention. Any sort of confusion or disorientation, if you are running a run, a route that you're really familiar with and you find yourself kind of confused about where you are or like not sure if you where your turnoff is supposed to be, like that is a sign, that is a, a mental sign something is going on. When something doesn't feel right, when it comes to the signs and symptoms of when the heat is getting to you, these are the really the big ones to watch out for. And I want to be, you know, make sure you understand this can kill you. If you work out too hard, too long in temperatures that you are not accustomed to working out in, heat stroke can kill you. So now that I've scared you, <laughs> let's talk about one of the big factors in preventing heat-related illnesses and that is staying on top of your hydration, including electrolytes. One of the things we talked about earlier is that your sweat is comprised of water from your blood plasma, as well as other little things like sodium, calcium, potassium, magnesium, electrolytes, commonly just electrolytes. When you sweat, you don't just lose water, you lose electrolytes. So when you're hydrating, one, you should make sure that you're hydrating pre-run throughout the day, It's not just like drink a bunch of water before you go for a run. When you're hydrating, you always want to make sure that you are keeping your water and your electrolyte levels in balance. So when you are out for a run in warm or hot conditions and you're going to be sweating a lot, you have to understand that not only are you losing water, but you're losing electrolytes. So if you only take in water, 
you are not replenishing the electrolytes that you need and you are, can cause a dangerous imbalance in the electrolytes in your body. So you probably may have heard of, yes, it's possible to drink too much water. And actually it's not that the, there's too much water in your body. It's that the sodium levels in your blood become unbalanced. And sodium is an, an essential component of how our bodies function. You may have heard of things like sodium ion channels um, in your cells. Sodium is a, an essential working part of your body's chemistry. So when you dilute your sodium levels too much by sodium depletion, plus just bringing a bunch of plain water in, that is very dangerous. That can cause a condition called hyponatremia, which is hypo meaning, meaning low, right? Hyper is high, hypo is low. Hyponatremia, natremia referring to sodium. Um, Na is the you know uh, chemical symbol for salt, <laughs> for sodium. NaCl is table salt, that's uh, sodium chloride. So hyponatremia, that is low sodium, but we basically say it's over hydration. It's hyperhydration causes hyponatremia. So yes, it is possible to drink too much water if you are not also replenishing the electrolytes. So how do you replace electrolytes? Fairly simple. You take in electrolytes. Common sports beverages can contain electrolytes. I personally, my personal choice is a company called Salt Stick. I love their electrolytes. They have caps you can swallow. They have these things called fast chews you can chew that are flavored. They are sodium, calcium, magnesium, essential electrolytes that that you need in order to maintain your functioning. 100% full disclosure, I am an ambassador for Salt Stick, but I'll be honest with you, I've been using Salt Stick for years, 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 years since I started running, and I only recently became an ambassador for them because I genuinely believe that their product is so amazing. When I was a new runner, I lived in Central Florida at the time, I started running in July, which like, you already know where this story is going. So when I discovered Salt Stick as a product, fell in love and I've been using it ever since. So I do have a promo code. You can get 20% off your salt stick order. If you DM me, I will give you that code. Uh, my personal favorite is the, the not the caffeine caps, the regular electrolyte caps, and then the fast chews. My personal favorite flavor is orange, but they also have three other flavors. So that is my pitch for salt stick because it saved me when I was dying in the central Florida heat. And I think they're great. But look, not everybody has the budget to buy something like that. And I completely understand. You can also add electrolytes to your water in the form of very simple, raw, unrefined salt products like Himalayan pink salt or salt, cell gris, gray salt, um, salt that you would get, not, not table salt, not salt that contains iodine, not, you know, the Morton salt that you get in the blue canister, but some sort of unrefined raw salt product that does, it contains sodium as well as the other kind of trace minerals and essential electrolytes in there too. So the ratio for that would be between an eighth and a quarter of a teaspoon, just a little bit, just a tiny bit per 16 ounces of water, about 500 milliliters of water. Uh, so it should taste like very faintly, it shouldn't taste like sea water. It shouldn't taste like, oh God, I'm drinking brine. It should taste very, very lightly salty, almost like you're making a, a savory water. So that is an excellent option as well, because again, plain water is not going to hydrate you. It's going to replace the water that you lost, but it's not going to replace the electrolytes that you lost. So using a, an electrolyte product, using unrefined salt, a sea salt, Himalayan pink salt, that sort of thing to replace electrolytes. Because like I said, electrolytes are essential to the functioning of your body. The more that you sweat, the more electrolytes you lose. Men, um, like we talked about before, tend to be tend to be saltier sweaters. I am a woman who is a very salty sweater. So uh, one of the difficult things when talking about, oh, how much water should I drink? How much electrolyte should I replace? That sort of thing. This is one of those things where everybody is so different. Your sweat, your fluid loss rates, your sweat rates, your electrolyte loss rates and the ratios in which you lose them are all really individualized. So you can have two people who are built the exact same way, same height, same boat, like two women, same height, same body composition, same 
body fat percentage, same muscle mass ratio, same bone density, and they could have drastically different reactions to running in warmer temperatures just based on biochemical differences, you know, on the, on the molecular, the cellular level. So there is no one size fits all for how much water, how many electrolytes to replace. But there are general guidelines. When you are running in warmer temperatures, you are going to need more hydration because you're going to sweat more. So the general rule is to drink between three and six ounces. It's a huge ratio, right? Between three and six ounces or about between 90 and 180 milliliters of your hydration beverage, which is water plus electrolytes, every 20 to 30 minutes of running. You may need more. You may need less. <laughs> this is like, that is a huge, broad generalization, right? Like three to six ounces, 90 to 180 milliliters of hydration beverage every 20 to 30 minutes. The kind of the limiting factor in all of this is that you should, well, one, you should be spacing out your hydration. You shouldn't be drinking every hour, right? You should, you want to keep yourself constantly hydrated. So it's just like when we're racing, we're talking about racing fuel. We always want to keep our stores topped up. We always want to keep our hydration levels topped up. So you should be drinking. Uh, if, if I were to advise you, I would say you should drink a little bit less more frequently rather than drinking more less frequently in these warmer conditions. Well, especially in these warmer conditions, the human body has a maximum capacity of how much water liquid it can absorb every given period of time. The general limit, and again, this is so, you know, it obviously has fluctuations depending on the person. The, the general maximum limit is that your body can usually only absorb 750 milliliters or about 25 ounces of water every hour. So this again, space it out better to drink a little bit, a lot rather than a lot, a little, a little bit. So, but keeping in mind, you have, your body has a general ceiling on how much liquid it can just process. And the stuff that if you drink too much and more, not too much, if you drink more than your body can absorb at any given time, you just pee it out, right? So it just goes straight through your, your you have to, then you have to pee. <laughs> so what does this mean for you as a runner? It means that when you are running in warm or hot, humid, sunny conditions, conditions you are not used to as the temperatures rise, it is so important to prioritize hydration, not just pre-run, not just post-run, during your run as well. If you are used to running in cooler temperatures, you can probably get away with running without water, you know, on your shorter runs. You know, I know runners who don't run with water on runs up to an hour, especially if it's an easy run. You think like, oh, you know, I'm not working that hard. I don't sweat that much. You know, I feel pretty good. My performance is pretty steady. I'm, you know, I'm good. I'll drink before and I'll drink after and I'm okay. You can get away with that when it's cool out. You can get away with that when you are in cooler temperatures. But you are probably not going to be able to get away with that when the temperatures start to rise because as soon as you start to dip into dehydration territory, your body is like, oh, gee, <laughs> I need more water than I have available. That impacts that cascades into impacting the rest of the systems in your body. Your blood gets thicker. One of the things that happens when your blood plasma is drawn out of your capillaries and used as sweat in your sweat glands is that it reduces the overall volume of your blood and it increases the concentration of your blood. Like I said, the blood plasma is like the filler, right? It's the watery stuff. It's water, mostly. The other stuff in your blood is stuff, right? It's it's red blood cells, it's white blood cells, it's other stuff in your blood. So when you when you pull the water out of your blood, you are increasing the viscosity, the concentration, the thickness of your actual blood. The thicker that your blood gets, the harder your heart has to pump to push that same fluid through your veins because it is it's a difference between pumping water versus molasses, right? You have to use a lot more force 
to pump the same volume of molasses through a tube than you would water. That's part of why your heart rate increases when you are on those warmer runs when you get dehydrated. So that's not the only reason your heart rate might increase, but that is a sign. Let's say that you are running at a steady effort and all of a sudden your heart rate starts to increase, something we notice called cardiac drift that could partially be explained by the fluid loss from your blood plasma that causes your blood to thicken, which causes your heart to have to pump harder and more in order to push the same amount of blood through your system. That is why staying on top of your hydration is one of the reasons that it is so vitally important. Because as soon as you are asking your body to do more work than it needs to, your performance is going to suffer in another way. So we talked about core temperature, we talked about sweating, we talked about ambient temperature, we talked about humidity, we talked about hydration and how important it is. In terms of acclimating to running in warm temperatures, it is possible and it can happen more quickly than you think, but there is kind of a caveat to all of this. In general, you can acclimate your body to perform in warmer temperatures within seven to 21 days, let's say. Uh, it's about the, the average is 14 days. Let's say the range is it's seven to 21 days, depending on the conditions that you're coming from and the conditions that you're going to and your physiology and your personal level of fitness and all that kind of stuff. So it happens pretty quickly, right? You're like, God, I can be acclimated to the heat in less than a month. Like that's, that's fantastic. The catch is that you only become acclimated to the conditions that you are currently training in. So if the temperature continues to rise, you will have to continue to acclimate. That's why it can feel like when summer comes and the temperatures rise and rise and rise and rise and rise and rise, you feel like you're almost going backwards for weeks. And you're thinking, how is this getting worse? I've been running in the heat for a month now. Well, it's just been getting warmer. So if uh, let's say a classic example of this is when pro athletes travel for races and they have the luxury of arriving ahead of time. And I'll use a really simple, obvious example. The Ironman World Championship is held in Kona, Hawaii. And you might think, gee, that sounds like a really warm and humid place. And you would be right. <laughs> Who holds an Ironman endurance race in Hawaii? It is hot there. It is humid there. It is. Those athletes arrive a couple weeks in advance because they're coming from wherever their regular training environment is. They show up in Kona, they work out there, they acclimate to the heat for several weeks, you know, a month if they can. And then on race day, their body is adjusted and they perform very well. The thing is that the temperatures and the conditions when they get there are basically stable. Right. So they're, let's say, coming from I live in I don't I don't live in Pennsylvania. Let's say athlete A lives in Pennsylvania and they've been training in normal Pennsylvania conditions and then they show up in Kona and the temperature is like 85 degrees and 70 percent humidity. But that's a constant. It's basically 85 degrees and 70 percent humidity for the whole three weeks of their race prep. So they are easily able to acclimate to those stable conditions of 85 degrees and 70% humidity or whatever I said they were. That is far, far different from if you are living in wherever that you live where the temperatures rise and it goes from 40 degrees to 65 degrees for a couple days and then back down to 50 and then it jumps up to 80 for two days and then it jumps back, you know, goes back down to 55 and then you have a week where it's 70 and then it jumps, goes back down to 60 and then all of a sudden it's 90. Like, do you see when it's not constant, when it's inconsistent, you cannot acclimate to an inconsistent. <laughs> so it's going to take longer for your body to adjust. That's okay. That's normal. I don't want you to think there's anything wrong with you. A lot of runners get really discouraged at the onset of summer because they think they are somehow losing fitness or going backwards when the same paces feel really hard, their heart rate is really high, they're sweating a lot, they can't you know, uh, finish the same distances that you used to be able to do because your body hasn't acclimated. It sucks. It's an unfortunate reality, but you will. <laughs> you will acclimate. It, you will. So what are some things you can do to help yourself acclimate to these 
rising yet still inconsistent temperatures. One, stay hydrated. Like that is the number one thing you can do to help your performance overall. Stay hydrated. Two, slow down. We talk about running in your easy effort zone. And I know we talk about heart rate, we talk about effort, we talk about pace sometimes, right? Even though for most of us who run in our easy effort zone using heart rate as our guide, we still in the back of our minds know what our general pace range usually is when we're on an easy run. Throw it out, throw that out the window. Throw it so far out the window, you can't even see it anymore. When the temperatures rise, the only thing that matters, the least of your worries is your pace. You need to make sure you're staying in your easy effort zone on your easy runs. When the temperatures rise, that means slowing down, slowing way down. It might even mean taking walk breaks depending on how high the heat, the humidity index is, how unused to running in those conditions that you are. You know, you should know, when something feels hard versus when something feels easy. In the back of your mind, even if you're, t- you're telling yourself, no, this feels easy, you know whether it's easy or not. Slowing down on your easy runs is vitally important until your body is able to adjust to the new conditions that it's running in. This is also why, let's say you do a block of training or you run through the summer and you get to the fall and it's like, oh my God, I just set a bunch of new PRs. Oh my God, why, I'm so fast now. Oh my God, my easy pace just dropped. Oh my gosh, I can run so much faster, so much longer. My heart rate's still in my easy zone. What happened? Well, you acclimated to the heat, which is a performance booster for a variety of reasons. And then you translate all that fitness into the fall conditions when the temperatures drop. It's like rocket fuel. You can perform way better with your summer fitness in those cool fall temps. It's worth it. So even if you're going through the summer and you're looking at your watch and saying, oh my gosh, my Garmin VO2 max is declining. First of all, ignore that metric in general. It's not very helpful for this specific reason. It doesn't take these other factors into consideration. The fact that you are running in the heat that is adding extra stress onto your body. So hydrate, slow down. This might be hard on some of you. If you are actively training for a race and you have things like goal pace workouts or lactate threshold, any sort of workout or pace work, please try to do that in conditions that are as good as they're going to get for the day that you're in. So if you are living in a place that is incredibly hot and humid, I would advise you if you can to do those early in the morning like as early as possible, in the dark maybe, depending on how hot the sun gets where you are. It's okay to take this stuff inside. It's okay to spend time on the treadmill doing the stuff that you need to do. At the back of your mind, you always need to keep your effort level in your head because when you exercise in hot or hotter, warmer, more humid, more stressful conditions, your overall effort level is greater to maintain that same pace. So you may have seen this where you trained in your hometown, a cool zone area for a spring race that you then traveled to. And you traveled to this spring race and it was like 75 degrees and 70% humidity and you tanked it. Like maybe you didn't even finish, right? but you were running your goal pace the whole time. And like, you know, you're, you're fit enough. You know, you should have been able to get that PR. What happened? You didn't take into account your effort level. Pace is great. And we all want to run certain paces, but at the end of the day, we are limited by the actual effort level, the physiological effort it takes for us to sustain that pace. When the temperatures are warm, the effort level is greater to maintain that same pace. What does this mean? This means that in warm conditions, hot conditions, humid conditions, your goal pace might not be achievable because the effort level is too great. And that sucks to have to to train for a race and have to adjust based on the conditions. But that's all part of racing. That's kind of just like you roll the dice and you get what you get in some conditions. Some days you may have hit the jackpot with weather and some days it might be 85 degrees and 80% humidity and you didn't train for that at all. 
if you are going to be traveling for a destination race that is going to be or more likely to be in warmer or more humid conditions that you're used to, if you can get there early, like I said, those athletes, those iron people traveling to Kona, they get there early. Any additional days you can spend acclimating to those new conditions will help you on race day. Not all of us obviously have the luxury of being able to go to our destination race weeks in advance to acclimate, right? We're not pros. We're just people with limited budgets and limited time, of course. So if that is the case, train for the conditions that you think are going to be running in where you are. Famously, I love this. If you haven't read Dina Castor's memoir, Let Your Mind Run, you should. She is amazing. She took the bronze medal at the Athens Olympic Games in 2004 in the marathon. And she was training in Northern California at the time. Northern California is famously not a sunny island in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, So she was training at moderate altitude, but obviously they knew that the race day in Athens was going to be hot. I mean, it's a summer, you know, it's a summer marathon in Greece. Hello, sunshine. Hello, heat. So they knew she was going to be running this condition, these, this course in those hot conditions. So she trained in a way in Northern California to mimic those warm conditions. She wore a whole bunch of layers on her training runs. When normally it might be a shorts and a t-shirt kind of day, she was wearing like long sleeve and a jacket and a wool hat. Like, you know, like simulating the race state conditions. We always say you want to train for the race you're going to run. So not only we're talking about elevation changes, we're talking about conditions too. If you are living in a place where it's cool and you're going to be running a race in conditions that are hot, simulate those hot conditions. Do it on your treadmill, wear a bunch of layers when you're running outside, whatever it is. Try to warm yourself up intentionally to simulate that heat stress that is going to give you the same or some of the acclimation benefits that you would get if you were going to just travel to that place early on race day. What does it look like then? We're talking about how to acclimate to the heat and how your body adjusts to the heat. And like, okay, you know, when your body adjusts or as your body acclimates, what are those specific adaptations, those changes in your body that happen over that seven to 21 day period of heat adaptation? The first big one is that your blood volume increases. So your blood plasma, which of course is where the sweat water comes from, uh, and your red blood cells increase. So you have more blood volume circulating in your body. You become a little camel when it comes to your blood volume. So your body has more resources available to it when it needs them. It knows I have been sweating more recently. I should have more things to be able to sweat with. And so it increases your overall blood volume, specifically your blood plasma, but it also then increases the number of red blood cells that you have which is always good. I mean, in general, more blood cells tend to be better. We're talking about the kind of endurance training that we are doing. The other thing that happens is that your heat loss response, the switch that is triggered, that your body says, whoop, time to start sweating. Oh, it's warm. I better start sweating now. That threshold lowers. So you start sweating earlier than you would, and you sweat in a greater volume than you would before, before you become acclimated. So you have more of the raw materials for your sweat available to you. You can start sweating more and earlier than you did before. So these are all almost preventative measures. The, I'm going to start cooling myself off right away. Part of the acclimation process is your body getting really good at using its primary cooling tool, sweat, to cool itself off. Now, of course, you always need to keep up with your hydration. So understanding that your hydration needs will increase. That's always part of it. But when you acclimate correctly, you have a greater blood volume. You have, you start sweating earlier and you start sweating more. Another really cool thing is that your, what your sweat is comprised of actually changes. So you lose more water and fewer electrolytes because your body knows that electrolytes are precious. It needs those electrolytes to function. So when you are heat acclimated, you sweat a lot, but it contains fewer electrolytes than it would before. So you're not sweating in the same 
proportion that you did before. So your sweat's mostly water. And you might have noticed this where, let's say in under normal conditions, after you go for a run and your sweat dries, you might notice salt stains on your clothing. If you are running in, you know, after heat acclimated, you sweat a lot and your clothing dries, you may not notice those salt stains anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not still losing electrolytes because you are, you're just not losing them at the same volume as you would based on the increased volume of sweat, right? So the you're, you're sweating more, but the increase in sweat volume is mostly water, which I mean, that's just, come on, your body knows. How cool is that? One of the key components to training in general, and this applies to heat acclimation as well, is that small changes sustainably done are the way to actually introduce your body to new things, right? So if you're training for a marathon, you, the first workout that you do is not going to be 16 miles with 12 miles of goal marathon pace, right? Like you're going to start way, way more gently than that. The same principle applies to heat acclimation. The very first day that it's warm out, don't go for a super crazy intense long run workout. Start small, start slow, and don't start just like in the middle of the day, you know, try to go out in the mornings when the temperatures are less intense, right? You don't want to shock your body. You want to introduce it in a sustainable way to the thing that you're trying to get used to do, right? This is, this is not about shocking your body into submission. This is about introducing your body slowly to the changing conditions so that it can adapt itself. And again, this stuff doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen fairly quickly. It can adapt to the changes, the changing environment and make the changes it needs to make on the physiological level to do the things it needs to do so you can perform better and acclimate to that hotter, more humid environment in the summer. So what about just staying comfortable in the heat, right? The heat's here, you know, you're acclimated, you're sweating a lot, you know, you figured out you're slowing down, things are going really well, but what else can we do to make running in the heat more bearable? Okay, so like I said earlier, try to avoid running in the heat of day. And in some places, it actually is going to be dangerous to exert yourself in conditions that are too extreme. And we talked before about humidity and we talked before about ambient temperature, right? So you have like the temperature of the air and you have the humidity in the air. But when you look at your weather app, you may also notice something called the, you know, the real feel or the feels like temperature. That is the, how it actually feels outside based on the temperature of the air and what the humidity is doing as it influences the temperature of the air. So the warmer it gets, and the higher the humidity becomes, the greater the quote unquote real feel temperature is. So <laughs> in general, and there are kind of charts and we can discuss this in a different post, but the higher the humidity plus the higher the actual air temperature, the greater the risk for heat related exhaustion, stress, heat stroke, those types of uh, illnesses, the more you need to slow down and the more careful you need to be, okay? If you're running in places where the temperature routinely is 90 or over 100 degrees and the humidity is routinely above 80%, those are extreme conditions. There may be conditions, depending on where you live, that it is unsafe to exercise in outside. It is unsafe to run in. You have to understand that. It's not just about like, oh, I'll just slow down and be okay. There may be conditions where it's just too extreme, unless you are super acclimated. And they have done studies to show if you are from an area, like let's say you're from Texas or you're from Florida and you were born and raised there, your natural level of heat tolerance is likely higher than somebody who was born and raised in Michigan or Washington. It just is. It's just, you know, you have a few, just the, because you were exposed to that kind of environment, young, early, and often, you are going to be naturally slightly more tolerant of high heat, high heat stress environments. So you might have an easier time acclimating to those environments. But that's, again, we are all very, very different. It depends on the person, depends on how much heat acclimation that you have personally done, 
how fit you currently are, people who have a higher overall level of fitness have an easier time adapting to these higher heat, higher heat stress environments. The limiting factor in all of this as well, so not only your core temperature increases, but if you are sweating more than you can replace or reasonably replace your hydration, it is unsafe to run in those conditions. So if you are going out for a long run and you there may be a point where you are unable to t- take in hydration fast enough to replace the water that you're losing. And that is a race against time until you are going to experience symptoms of heat stroke or heat illness. So understanding your personal tolerance levels, understanding what the signs and symptoms of heat stroke are, understanding the importance of exercising, not in the heat of the day, staying hydrated, but also knowing that, look, sometimes you just can't hydrate your way out of it. You just cannot keep up with how much you're sweating based on the conditions, especially if it's very hot and it's very humid. You may not be able to take in enough hydration to replace how much you're sweating, no matter what you do. You have to understand that and you have to be safe about this. But in terms of just being comfortable in general, so yes, hydration, super key. Wearing sunscreen and sunblock clothing. We talked before about how sun, the heat of the sun, giant ball of radiation in the sky, when you get a sunburn, that is a very low form of radiation poisoning, radiation exposure. So one of the things that happens when you get a sunburn or you are exposed to the sun is that your body reacts by causing, uh, by getting inflamed, inflammation. Inflammation draws water into it. That's part of what inflammation is. That's what swelling is. It's, you know, that's why things swell because they have more water and fluids rush to that area to deal with the damage. If you are wasting water dealing with an inflammation due to sunburn, that is water that your body is unable to use in other places, like sweating or the business of running. <laughs> so if don't don't let yourself become sunburned because that is going to one ruin your day, two increase your risk for skin cancer, and three reduce your performance because it's going to be using water in that area of your skin where you really do need that water elsewhere in your body. So wear sunscreen, high SPF sunscreen. Wear a hat, a brimmed hat, a baseball cap. Uh, Wear UPF, so protection factor clothing if you can. So they do make long-sleeved or sun protection clothing that I know you're like, I'm not going to wear long sleeves in in the heat of the sun. Well, it actually, depending on your risk benefit analysis, it actually might be a good option. It will st- you will still evaporate sweat through your clothing and it will protect you from the sun. So sun exposure protection, hydration, slowing down, being realistic, and being consistent in your training. So don't expect that the heat acclimation is going to happen overnight, but it will happen more quickly than you think in those steady state conditions, as long as the temperature doesn't keep rising. Because like I said before, you will become acclimated to the temperature and the environment in which you are running in. But as soon as that changes and becomes hotter, more humid, that sort of thing, you're going to need to reacclimate. So patience, 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 especially in the early onset of the summer months where it is, you know, the temperature is kind of bouncing around all over the place. It is rising and you may feel like you're not getting a handle on your heat acclimation. You might feel like you're always in the acclimation process. You are, you are because your body needs to spend between seven and 21 days in those same conditions in order to acclimate to them. But any heat acclimation, any time you spend in that hotter, more humid environment will help the acclimation process. With all this being said, like I said before, training in the summer heat can bring you some blazing fast PRs in the fall if you do it properly. And again, easy running is your friend. This is easy effort running based off heart rate or perceived exertion, not based on pace, especially in the summer. 
you will, you will notice your easy pace slow down as the temperature rises. And that's 100% okay. I want it to because the most important part of easy running is spending time in that aerobic development zone. That is where we become faster, fitter, more efficient, build that mitochondrial density, build that capillary density to help us sweat more and deliver more fuel to our cells. All of this happens in your aerobic development zone, not at a specific pace. So slow down, stay in your easy zone, be smart about your training, learn to listen to your body and have fun this summer. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at Running Explained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. Until next time, happy running! This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.